Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and our co-host today is Becca Aceto. Hi, Becca. Hi, Marsha. How's it going today? Um, well, it's sunny, and this morning I woke up to snow with my car windows down, so it's never oh. a <laughs> Damn. Yeah, we got a little bit of snow here, too. Um, sorry about the car windows. Yeah, you know, I bought some strawberries yesterday, plants, like strawberry plants. So that was my main concern. It's an old car, so she'll keep <laughs> on. But the strawberry plants were what was on my mind. <laughs> I feel like if I were to encapsulate Becca in one sentence, that might be it. <laughs> I'm glad the strawberry plants are fine. Uh, we are joined today by our guest, Phoebe Stoner. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, how's it going, Marsha? It's going great. How are you? I am good. Any snow on the ground in Oregon this morning? No snow to speak of, but I definitely relate, Becca. I remember when I lived in Laramie, Wyoming, I, I've lost many hundreds of dollars with the Memorial Day plant sales. <laughs> and then the lessons that you learn in June when the snow comes back. So. Yeah. Oh, man, <laughs> they get you in April. All those green plants, yeah. you can't help yourself. And then the snow just takes all your dreams and crushes them. <laughs> I, know. I know, I know, yeah. I will admit that was one of the first thoughts that crossed my mind when I did see the snow because I spent a ton of time in my garden this weekend, like adding compost to the beds and just getting everything set up. And I was, when I saw the snow this morning, I was like, thank God I didn't actually plant anything. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, so Phoebe... Um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, um, well, I'm super stoked to be here today. Um, my name is Phoebe Stoner. I uh, right now live in Portland, Oregon. Um, I went to college here at Lewis and Clark College about 10 years ago. And I moved to Wyoming, uh, basically, you know, the day after I graduated, I think. Um, it's been about seven years there. And then was looking to kind of change change my career path and thaw out a little. Um, and so I moved back to the Northwest about two years ago. Are you from Oregon? I'm not. I'm actually from Ohio. Oh, wow. Uh, so you, mm -hmm. then you moved from Ohio to Oregon for, um, for college? For college with a quick stint in Rochester, New York for two years, too. Nice. We are <laughs> yeah. a group of transplants. Midwest uh -huh. transplants, to be specific. <laughs> Becca, you're from Ohio, right? I am. I'm from down near Dayton, like southwest Ohio. Oh, cool. Nice. We used to go to I'm Dayton. from northeast Ohio. Marsha, you would go to Dayton? We would go to Dayton for the air shows. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe okay. we were there at the same time once. I used to go as well. Well, I... I think I'm a bit older than you are. <laughs> By the time you went to the Dayton Air shows, I may have graduated out of them. We went when I was under 10. I was, I remember going when I was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what's your background as a hunter and angler? How did you get into hunting, Phoebe? Yeah. So um, it's pretty interesting. I grew up 
in a really rural area of Ohio, um, really aggy, uh, you know, grew, grew up across from a cornfield. And I swear my parents were the only progressives in the county. And <laughs> for us, that meant um, hunting wasn't really a part of the conversation when I was a kid. Um, but it was very much part of the culture of where I grew up. So I actually got the first day of hunting season off in my school district. Oh, wow. Because so many, so many kids would be absent. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was very abundant. We also had drive your tractor to school day. So <laughs> it was, it was in line with that. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in the country and um, I think the only exposure to hunting I had was kind of for back of lack of a better word um you know kind of like tree stand bush light um just a different form of hunting than the hunting that I learned in the west um but but certainly was exposed to it when I was a kid uh and then when I moved to Wyoming I mean it's just the landscape there and the access and the resource is so abundant. Um, and I actually got into hunting through an ex-boyfriend, believe it or not. Um, and we are yeah, also you a know, group I of live... people who got into hunting through ex-boyfriends. I feel like we all just have so <laughs> yeah. much in common. Yeah, right. That's Thanks, amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. <laughs> um but yeah, you know, in Wyoming, where I was living, it was um, also, I think, part of the culture, but in a really different way. Um, you know, I, I was really interested in biology and ecology. I was a naturalist there. And I think I became keyed into just migrations and animals moving and changing where they were on the landscape through the seasons and, um, you know, how hunting corresponded to that and I got really really keyed into the idea of just sustaining myself I think that's the aspect that I'm most drawn to um, or, or was most drawn to just the idea that the bounty of the backyard um, and taking advantage of that so um, yeah I started hunting in I guess it was 2013 um, started kind of you know, big game elk and deer uh, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which is kind of a, a wild way to get started. <laughs> what was, can you tell us a story? What's one of your favorite memories from the field? Yeah, um, the first animal that I ever harvested or shot myself is actually a white-tailed deer. Um, which is kind of funny because, you know, I grew up in this place where white-tailed deer hunting was so popular. And then I moved to a place where you can literally hunt any big game, you know, basically in North America and <laughs> chose to hunt white-tailed deer <laughs> of all those things. Yep. Um, but that. it was, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, maybe some comfort in that, but it was a late season tag. It, it went all the way through. January 17th, I think, and I was looking for things to do in the nine-month winter that Wyoming has that wasn't skiing, so <laughs> I think I got um, excited about the tag, and it was down in a place called Star Valley, which is 
I don't know, 45 minutes from Jackson. And so I'd drive down there and kind of scouted it preseason and then was so determined um, to take the animal on public land. And I would just be hunting these small little slivers of public land, just amongst all this private land. And I passed up so many shots that season. <laughs> I think that was like the thing I remember the most is just the, the opportunities I had to take a shot that I was like, oh, I don't know. And then the moment, you know, has come and gone and just like in an instant, basically. Um, but I remember going home to Ohio for Christmas and then coming back and it had snowed many, many feet and all the places I had been hunting in early December were just totally different. Like the deer were doing, were just hanging out in different places. We're not coming through there. So all the work I had done to figure out like where these critters were going and why um, was kind of out the window. And so I actually ended up taking the first deer um, on private land uh, on a, a, a hay pile, a giant stack of, of hay bales. I sat on the top of it and, you know, a fawn and doe came out and uh, just right around the end of shooting hours. And I just remember how hard my forearms were shaking. Like you just can't prepare yourself for that moment as much as you go to the shooting range. Um, you know, when you're in that moment where the animal is there in your crosshairs and you're just like, oh my God, my adrenaline, <laughs> I can't control my body. Um, but yeah, I, took, I think I took maybe three shots, but I, I took it down and then we took over a little kid sled um, that you'd buy at, you know, Kmart or something and put the animal there and we just sledded it back over to the car and I remember I had like white snow pants on and going yeah. into the Maverick gas station afterwards and I was just like covered in blood from, from cleaning and gutting the animal just rolling into the gas station in my white snowsuit so, it was definitely colorful did anybody say anything I'd be surprised if they did unless it was congratulations <laughs> Yeah, I feel like luckily I was in the right place in the world yeah. where, yeah. you know, people don't really even notice maybe, but <laughs> you yeah. could have put it in a, in a different Maverick maybe. It's so interesting. Yeah. I ha I, um, first off, I think you're right. Like the adrenaline rush, I think, I don't, yeah. I, I'm still a new hunter myself, so I don't know if it ever goes away. It, it doesn't seem to, um, but the adrenaline yeah. rush uh, combined with like the, um, slowness of the decision-making process for a new hunter. Um, right. it, you, and you mentioned passing up a number of shots and um, I, let's talk about that <laughs> because yeah, I deal with that a lot as, and I think it is, you know, I think as a new hunter um, there are just so many questions that you have to run through and I'm very slow at running through them in, at this point in my mm -hmm. hunting experience um, and I can mm -hmm. feel myself getting faster as I get more experience and can make quicker decisions. Uh, but I yeah. definitely think the first few years of hunting, the number of animals that I passed up um, because mm -hmm. of the lack of experience, but also because of the slowness in answering those questions. Uh, has yeah. that changed for you now that you've been hunting for seven years? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, I... I think that there's a little bit of a, a gender 
um, bias in that too, right? Because I think women naturally, or no, not naturally, I think women in this world are kind of taught to hesitate and to second guess and to, you know, question. And um, I definitely think that, that it, it's that paired with being a beginner um, and just not having that confidence of like, yep, I'm going to do this. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it gets better over time. I mean, those are, I, those are the moments that I found most motivating and I, I don't think I'll ever forget them. Like, I feel like they're like little vignettes in my mind. <laughs> I can picture the shots very specifically that like, oh, the time I was in really thick timber and there's the time where I thought it wasn't, you know, broadside, but it actually would have been okay. Um, but I think that's just part of the learning experience. And for me, I, I tend to, you know, maybe be air on the side of being conservative. And I, you know, in one regard, it's like, yeah, I probably could have filled the tag earlier, but in another regard, it's like, I also could have injured an animal. Um, so I think the hesitation comes from somewhere, right? It comes from a place of, of novice but also of just like wanting to be responsible and and wanting to be putting yourself in the best decision or best situation as as you can um but it's definitely interesting phoebe i'm curious uh that first year or you know any of these instances where you've had these big questions that you've been dealing with internally have you been by yourself or were you with other people who were maybe helping you make these decisions um, I have never been like, well, I, I definitely have gone by myself hunting before, but in those situations, I feel like I was with someone, at least one person, but the person was never beside me. It was always a walkie talkie situation. So, and that's a whole nother, you know, part of, you know, the equation is just like uh, one more thing to deal with. <laughs> oh, someone's like talking. I should turn the volume up, but not too loud because they're, there's an animal right there. Um, but yeah, there, there certainly has been. Uh, I actually remember a, another story of a shot I passed up. Um, I was up uh, late season on a general elk tag just right outside of Jackson. It's kind of the spot that everyone goes to when they haven't filled their tags yet. And the elk are starting to move down to the refuge, the National Elk Refuge at the time. And um, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot of people there. Um, and I remember wearing these gloves and my fingers were so cold and it's late season, it's very snowy. And I was like sitting on the ground and the person I was with, my boyfriend at the time was, I don't know, maybe a football field, you know, further. And we were talking on the walkie talkies and hunting is so interesting because it, it it's just like fishing in the sense that it can go from just being pretty not a lot of action like pretty low-key to just oh my gosh everything I've been working for is right here and it's just like zero to a hundred um and I remember sitting at the base of that tree and being like, all right, we've been here for hours, I'm cold, and my mind's wandering, and then I looked up, and there's just this cow elk, like, literally walking, maybe 50 <laughs> yards in front of me, just perfect shot, and I just started scrambling, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, my magazine was, like, 
in backwards and like not properly like you know put in and my my hands were balled up they didn't have mittens I had gloves and like trying to get my mittens on and I just couldn't get my stuff lined out quick enough um to take the shot and so you know I let my boyfriend know my boyfriend at the time know and he ended up harvesting the animal but that, that was definitely one I remember because we ended up filling our freezer with that animal but it was like man I, it was right there and I just I wasn't ready yeah and I thought I was mm-hmm. I've been there for sure last year mm-hmm. even it was opening day and I was hunting with a friend and we had like that morning we got like three feet of snow it was the craziest thing um and Uh we had hiked around and hadn't seen anything because nothing was moving in that snow and it's like just at that Mm -hmm. point like just when you give up (laughs) you're around the corner and and there's the deer and same thing it's like oh my god Uh, my my gun (laughs) is like you you know wrapped around my entire body (laughs) yeah totally totally. (laughs) and and I can't remember if I chambered anything and yeah uh Uh and I did not get that deer um yeah exactly like we didn't have the meetup time right I guess we had a miscommunication (laughs) right I was expecting you two hours earlier I don't know what your calendar said yeah I've been ready I was just leaving (laughs) (laughs) what is that I feel like we we had a podcast um, with Jen Davis where she harvested a turkey mm-hmm. when she was going out for a bathroom mm-hmm. break and it's like the same thing it's like just like they they can feel okay she's yeah. focused on something else let's go out there now yeah it's so true we have a joke I have a um, kind of a crew of friends here my boyfriend my current boyfriend and a couple of our friends um, we like to go duck hunting there's a nice spot you know pretty close to uh, Portland and we have this joke that, you know, if we want ducks to fly in, then someone needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> because as soon as someone stands up out of the blind and leaves, then they all come in. Yep. <laughs> so I remember earlier this year, I was like talking with my boyfriend often and we were like, I think having like a pretty good conversation about some conservation issue, you know, kind of outside of the blind. It had been a quiet morning. And then we look over and there were just like four mallards that (laughs) were swooping and we're like, where's our stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So always be ready, I guess. Always be ready. It's just so much easier. It's so much easier to say than do. (laughs) Because you let go for just a second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a yeah, I have a million stories like that. My first bear um, was like uh-huh. that. I was just not expecting it, and it came walking in right. like he owned the place. Um, yeah, right. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. I feel like um, that was a lovely chat that I wasn't expecting, but I enjoyed. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about on today's podcast is serving as a mm-hmm. board member on a conservation organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would love mm-hmm. to hear, because I feel like um, in my experience, since you and I have gotten to know each other really just recently, mm-hmm. Uh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're very passionate and you're very engaged and you're very motivated to, to say yes and to make things happen. So I'm curious about what first um, motivated you to take on being a board member and what that journey was like from, I think this is something I want to do to this is something I'm doing. 
Yeah, I love that question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I just got a lot of great leadership experience in Wyoming because for lack of a better word, a lack of a better term, it's, you know, like a pretty small pond. There's more people that live in Portland than in the state of Wyoming. So <laughs> it's, it's a small I, pond and I... <laughs> sorry, I remember real quick. I remember going from uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming mm-hmm. to Seattle mm-hmm. and like, uh-huh. and that was a shock. <laughs> that was a real shock. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a shock in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities to be a leader there and I think it allowed me to see those opportunities when I was a lot younger than maybe when people traditionally start engaging with boards Um, but it also had a little bit to do with just how I was positioned so you know going back I I moved to Jackson Hole um, right after college to do take an environmental education job Um, and you know, this is kind of embarrassing. No, it's actually not embarrassing, but to give you you an idea, you know, I'm from Ohio. We ski on trash piles there, um, that are maybe (laughs) 300 feet high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I just didn't grow up skiing. It was never an opportunity I had. It was just not kind of part of the culture of where I'm from. And so I moved to Jackson and it was like I felt a little bit like an alien I didn't even know that there was a ski hill there (laughs) (laughs) when I moved there and you know it turns out to be one of the best skiing areas in North America so I I definitely was blind to winter sports Um, and I found myself in Jackson kind of after my internship ended and I, I definitely you know I had four jobs um, like a lot of people in Jackson that were 22. Um, but everyone around me in my kind of peer group, at least that was visible to me at that time, were just like, you know, what are you doing here? You don't ski. Why are you here? And it was super alienating. It was a really negative experience. And I feel like I took that and I used it as fodder and I was just like you know what I'm just gonna engage in other things and so I started coaching uh, youth basketball that winter and just got really plugged in with kind of you know the ins and outs of the community I met parents and um, just started to see this whole other side of you know what a lot of people would just see as the town of ski bums um, And I also then got engaged um, with the Jackson Hole Conservation Alliance. So I think one of my key um, like themes throughout my story is I I definitely started local um, with just what was right around me. And in Jackson, um, as you probably know, in a lot of mountain towns in the West, there's a huge housing problem huge shortage of workforce housing and it was really impacting and continues to still impact the character of that community and there's just this kind of constant push and pull between um, developers and people that want to create more housing for the workforce and 
that's really the issue that I got keyed into because it was affecting me and the people that I knew. Um, and so, yeah, I started engaging through a nonprofit and I had the opportunity to go testify at a, you know, joint town and county planning meeting. Um, and I didn't even know what that meant at the time, right? Like I had no idea how government functioned or what the procedures were like or the etiquette, but someone invited me and I cared about the topic. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, and I went and, you know, I had this moment of walking up to the podium and the lights are on you and it's very nerve wracking. And, you know, there's this formality too of Robert's rules and just the you know ritual of it. And um, I opened my mouth up and I spoke and I saw these people in front of me that were supposed to be representing me hear me. And I was like, wow, this is kind of what democracy at least is supposed to be all about, right? Like I am just a person that lives here and I'm here voicing my opinion about something I'm worried about. And you folks are here to hear that and to hear other people's opinions and then to come up with a solution. Um, so that was kind of the moment that I got really engaged with, I think, just participation um, and, and definitely participation in, you know, policy specifically. That was a really long-winded story. I don't know if that <laughs> answers the question, but that's the very beginning of it. No, I think that's great because I do think um, it is those local issues that mm -hmm. A, are the ones that touch us most personally, but also B, are the most accessible. And I think um, with Artemis and with the National Wildlife Federation, the majority of the work that we do is obviously national legislation. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think it's really important that when people are considering getting engaged in advocacy to also look at the local level. Like yours was um, mm -hmm. on the, uh, it was on the county level, it sounds like. Town and county, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but there's also, you know, city council meetings. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think engaging at that local level is a really mm -hmm. important uh, first step to keep in mind because those are the people that you, mm -hmm. you know, that you share your space with. Um, and starting yeah. there can mm -hmm. be really impactful. I totally agree. Yeah. And I feel like you're, it's, it's kind of, it's not that your voice matters more on that scale, but it's that you know, it's kind of, there's more of a, a light on it um, because the issues are local and yeah, the scale is just smaller and it's, it's more close-knit. Um, and it's interesting too, because there really are like, you know, we all care a lot about hunting and fishing and issues of conservation. And sometimes there's issues that affect conservation happening at that level. And I feel like we sometimes overlook it because you know, I used to, when I used to think of the word politics, I would just think of the hill. Um, and now that's really different. I, I think of, you know, city hall. But <laughs> uh, can you tell us specifically about being a board member? Mm -hmm. What boards have you served on? Mm -hmm. Let's start there. Yeah. So I, I did first get involved in board work um, on the government side. So 
Um, there's so many different types of boards out there. That's something I've learned too, right? Yeah. So, you know, big organizations and corporations have boards, um, nonprofits have boards, and the government has boards. You know, I was on the Laramie City Council for a, a little over a year, and that's essentially a board. It's a board of, you know, the city. Um, and so the first board that I um, got the opportunity to work on was actually the town of, town of Jackson, uh, Teton County Parks and Recreation Board. Um, and it was an appointment process and I got appointed um, by the county commission and town council. And I, I sat on that board and it was an, an advisory board to the department. So we would look at the, you know, the uh, recreation department's budget, um, look at different proposals, uh, do high level guidance with programs and um, cost recovery. And it was a blast. I had such a good time doing that. Um, you just work with people that you would never meet. And maybe I had a blast because I'm a total municipal government nerd, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel it like was, there's a parks and rec cool. joke here somewhere <laughs> and I'm just yeah, missing it. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lifetime of jokes there to be. <laughs> um, but I, I think for me, like that particular experience was really important because I definitely think that like the word board of directors, like, unfortunately, when I think about it, and I think when a lot of people think of it, I just think of like, white dudes in ties in a boardroom. <laughs> and the conversations are big and important, and you're not qualified to be part of them. Mm -hmm. And that's really not the situation. You know, a board is a group of different perspectives. And I think a lot of people maybe are intimidated or at the time I was like 25 years old. And it's like, what do I bring to this? You know, I have a background in biology and it's like, well, I'm a user of the parks and I live in Teton County and I want to be engaged. And that's really, that's your qualification. That makes you qualified. Your perspective alone is a qualification and you wanting to share it that like, that's what we need more of. Um, so I think that was a really confidence building experience um, to kind of break through and see like, no, this isn't an exclusive space where you have to have X, Y, and Z on your resume for your opinion to be valuable. It's just a space where we should be bringing together diverse perspectives. That's the whole point. That Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a great point because I do think that a lot of people, um, stop themselves from even raising their hand mm -hmm. to be on a board because they don't have that conservation specific knowledge or background. Right. I know that I've self-selected myself out of the running for many of those opportunities. Um, but a mm -hmm. few years ago, I um, applied to serve on a board for the city of Missoula. Um, that was a mm -hmm. clean energy board. Um, cool. And what I brought was mm -hmm. my, my experience and perspectives as an educator and they were interested yeah. in in communicating and educating the public on the issues that they were talking about. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really mm -hmm. important point. Like own your expertise mm -hmm. in the area that it's in um, and, and mm -hmm. talk about how it can contribute to the work that they're doing in conservation. Because it will. It, it can totally. and it will. That's a, yeah, I think that's I totally agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to add on to that, the list of qualifications 
aren't limited. Like you're saying, it's not limited to, well, I know how to balance a budget. I know how to read and take minutes. You know, those, those things, people can learn to do that. Um, and it, it's really just, are you willing to do the work? Um, and what, what perspective do you offer? I mean, that's, that's, you know, being, being responsive and being engaged. That's more than I think a lot of board members have or boards have like just a really engaged, responsive person that's, that's there to do the work. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, so what's next? Mm -hmm. What happened after that? Yeah. Um, so after that, I'm trying to think. I so I was on the Parks and Rec board. I actually got to be vice chair of that. I realized I had a passion for running meetings, <laughs> and I was pretty good at it. So oh, they like, love it when they find that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a tangent killer. <laughs> right. Oh, that's priceless. Right? <laughs> um. So. Yeah, I I was there, and then um, I think after that I I applied to be on the Wyoming Wildlife Federation board, and that was right around the time where I was switching my location in Wyoming. Um, I took a job in Laramie, and I was kind of headed down there, and I took a job on the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, or I I took a position on the board. There was a vacancy and they kind of had a specific process to follow because of the laws that govern them. But um, that one I really became interested in just through connections I had made. And it was another young woman who, you know, was really engaged and active uh, in Wyoming. She actually had the job in Laramie before I took it. So <laughs> I guess I was falling in her footsteps a bit. Um, but it was an invitation, right? And that's another thing is it's just, it's such a powerful thing to bring others in too. Um, going back to that idea of, you know, especially as, you know, ladies or people that identify as women, I feel like there's a lot of doubt around, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know what, what I would bring. Um, those, those types of thoughts. And so the power of the invitation um, to like for folks that are on boards now, like that is just such a priceless thing to put your hand out and, you know, say, oh, I actually want to bring another young woman into this conversation that I know is qualified and maybe she doesn't think of herself that way, but I think she is. And yeah, I, I was really flattered by that. And then um applied and they had a membership vote i think is how they did it um and then the term started after that that's such a that's such a powerful thing i work for a nonprofit, um and the the, the group is overseen by a board of directors and i had mm -hmm. you know the honor of i guess you would say suggesting or nominating a few women into board mm -hmm. positions and they're now on the board but both of them mm -hmm. one of the first things they said was you know I would have never thought that I was qualified for this and exactly. they're more I mm -hmm. mean they do the job more than you know we could have ever hoped for so it's just so great to see them thriving yeah. and sort of paving the way for yeah. other folks totally yeah and I feel like that's something I've heard a lot just in general with 
job postings and in the world of careers, a lot of times women will see job postings and they'll read it and think, well, I don't have those qualifications. I've only been doing this for four years and it says five. Um, and it's not the same experience for male applicants. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to be aware of and using, you know, if you have already broken through those barriers, then using that power to help other ladies break the barriers is, yeah, where the magic happens. It's interesting. I've even learned when I, um, with Artemis programs that we're hosting, when I reach out to women to see if they'll help share their knowledge and, and, and with others, mm-hmm. I avoid using the mm-hmm. word expert um, because there's yeah. nothing that will turn uh, a, a mm-hmm. woman towards no more quickly than saying we're looking for experts in. Um, right. Because they, I'm not an expert. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I, I've been doing it yeah. for 15 years, but I'm not an expert. <laughs> Um, And so I've definitely uh, leaned away from using that word uh, right from the get-go. Yeah, right. I feel like that's a good segue. Can you talk about what you have learned through serving on a board? And I think professionally, but also personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think professionally kind of goes back to what we were talking about Um, Like, it's not necessarily about the things listed on your resume. It's just about how you are acting um, on the team, right? And I served, I worked for a board of 30 people for a couple years. So I I guess I've seen it both ways. And I find that to be helpful. I think anyone that served a nonprofit board or worked, you know, for a nonprofit and have, have reported to a board, Um, it gives you a certain insight. Um, And I would just say for me, the insight it gave me is some of the best qualities of of the best board members that I've served are just, I'm here to support you and I'm going to be really responsive. Um, And so just going in with like thinking like that in itself is an asset that's going to separate you from other people. (laughs) It's just like, I'm here for you and I'm going to respond to your email as soon as I can. Um, And uh, so, yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, You know, there is, this is kind of a smaller thing, but the power of an agenda, like there is nothing that, and maybe I'm just too fixated on structure, but there's nothing that drives me more bonkers than a meeting that just goes totally sideways and the first two items on the agenda end up taking two-thirds of the meeting and then you're rushing through the important stuff and um just if you do have a good chair or a good meeting manager just leaning on that or learning to become a good meeting manager and learning to you know really follow an agenda and kind of have an agreement that that's how you're going to be productive um not that, no, you know, I, I shouldn't say that there are no worthwhile tangents, but um, there's definitely value in not getting bogged down um, in a story that about something that happened 20 years ago or a side, you know, just total side. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think everyone's like that. That search for a board is like, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> it, it's so interesting because I think um, most of my experience with boards has been from an executive director position, so working with a board right. in that capacity. Mm-hmm. And I and you're right. Yeah. I mean, you can run around circles um, in a particular topic for hours mm-hmm. um, if mm-hmm. if it goes unfacilitated. Um, and that, and, and yeah, there's nothing more frustrating or exhausting than that. Um, but I also think one of the things that like serving on a board has its fun components, right? Hopefully you like the people that you're serving with and, and there's always pleasure in in that capacity, but ultimately like the work that a board does is hard. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think every board, in my experience, every board struggles and the effort is to make sure that the struggle is proactive and yeah. um, and and mm-hmm. and moving towards something rather than just getting bogged down in the struggle itself, and I think that's where really oh, skilled yeah. facilitation and meeting management is is so vital to just keep everybody moving forward together. I totally agree, and I also think you know this is true in life, but also true at, you know if you're serving on a nonprofit conservation board or environmental board, um, there is so much work to do Mm -hmm. right like there are so many worthwhile topics or issues advocacy like there's so much and so really having an idea of you know what is our purpose and what's our strategy here and and how are we going to be thoughtful about what we pick and what we have to pass on um because you know you could end up just doing a million things and spreading yourself so thin. Um, And I think in the same regard, like on these big issues, like, you know, removing the Snake River Dam or just huge, huge policy lifts, right? Like that have been taking decades. It's so important to celebrate. It's so important to celebrate small victories. And I think that's something that I've found in my personal life too like taking the time to, even if you didn't win and you didn't pass the bill or you didn't raise exactly how much you were hoping to, like slowing down and taking a second and to actually celebrate the things that you did accomplish Mm -hmm. um, that are outside of the W, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's essential. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And I would say, oh, go ahead. No, please go ahead. I would just say on a personal level, because I think you asked too, like, what did you learn personally? Um, I am a yes person and it, you know, I, I am an enthusiastic yes person. And I think that's led me to a place where I've had a lot of amazing opportunities, but I also, you know, got to a, a place in my life at a certain point where my work-life balance was really, really off. Um, and that's actually the reason I kind of moved back to Oregon was just to recalibrate and readjust um, because you, you can't really say yes to everything. And as you start saying yes, and as you become more experienced, then you're gonna have more opportunities. I feel like opportunity begets opportunity and doors open more doors. And so for me personally, just kind of understanding or creating my own boundaries for 
well, these are the things I'm working that on that aren't related to my job and aren't related to the board work that I'm doing. And they also need to have priority. Um, you know, I want to be able to go catch fish too yeah. <laughs> in my yeah. personal life. Um, and it's really hard. And I think that's another, you know, kind of a gendered, um, there's definitely a gender bias in that as well. Just work-life balance for women. And, and people-pleasing, which is something and that people I've, pleasing. I, I'm, I think I've mentioned before that I'm a recovering people-pleaser. Um, yeah, I, I it's think, hard. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Uh, and, and so I have, I have two, well, one thought that I want your thoughts on and then a question. But the thought is, mm-hmm. um, I, we're doing a Go Confident as an Advocate course here in Montana, which is a year-long series yeah. of um, meetings where mm-hmm. we talk about different issues in conservation and, and different issues in advocacy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that yeah. I've noticed um, and made sure to mention to them is um, I think anytime you are a member of an underrepresented community um, and yep. you raise your hand to to lead or to to share your voice, um, the opportunities mm-hmm. come snowballing. And so, you know, you raise your hand yeah. to participate in one legislative meeting um, and then that that mm-hmm. then you've identified yourself. You've raised your hand. You're no longer, uh-huh. you know, you're you're no longer uh-huh. a bystander. You're an active participant. And there's so mm-hmm. many amazing, empowering things to that. But um, it also mm-hmm. means that you're going to have to learn how to say no pretty quickly because you'll you'll get mm-hmm. so many opportunities as a a, a, a woman hunter, angler conservationist yeah. in this space um, that you have to learn. It's totally true. Yeah. How have mm-hmm. you navigated that? I totally that? agree. Um, that is such a good question. I mean, frankly, I feel like I navigated it by going so far in one direction that I was just like, this isn't sustainable and I have to dramatically shift my life. Um, and for me, what that looked like was, you know, I was at the time running a nonprofit. So I was executive director of a nonprofit, statewide advocacy nonprofit in Wyoming. Um, I was serving on Laramie City Council and I was, you know, running, I had been running campaigns on the side through contracts. It was just very engaged. Um, But for me, it was hard because my job was also basically what I was doing in my spare time. Um, and all the people yeah. that I was yeah. doing those things were like, it was just, there was no division between my job, my service on council, and then my social life, honestly. And so I think the, the big wake up for me was that I wanted to kind of shift my career to not be advocacy because I felt like I could put more time into it and be more passionate about it and, you know, have maybe put less time, but have that time be more quality as just a volunteer. Um, And then my career is kind of over here in this pocket and it's great. You know, I found a job in renewables, um, which checks a lot of boxes for me, but it's totally different. Um, Now I design and sell solar, solar and storage systems. So I'm not like talking with lawmakers during the day and then being a lawmaker at night. And, you know, it's, it just creates a little more space. So that was really helpful just for me personally. And I think everyone's path is different, but there's a really, I think the takeaway is just like the things we tell ourselves. Right. And 
having boundaries is not the same as being weak. Um, having boundaries is not a sign of weakness. It's just a sign that, you know, you want to have a balanced life. And I think it's really hard. It's a hard thing that we're all trying to do, but it's definitely, it takes awareness and intention mm-hmm. and some adjustments at times. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's almost like the, um, the shoemaker whose kids has no, have no shoes, right? <laughs> you talking about where you do it for work and you do it for, and you go home and you do it. And, um, yeah, I understand that. And I think that's a really interesting um, thing to think about as a conservationist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like you're, you're you as an individual, you know, you're at the center of of all of the things we're talking about. And so, you know, taking care of yourself and making sure that you have those kind of levers at a balance point that's sustainable for you, I think is better in the long run because you're going to you know, be able to perform better and serve better on that board mm-hmm. um, or in that meeting. Right. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll have read the materials before the meeting or, right? um, you know, have right. had the opportunity to think about them before they're tossed in your lap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. There's a podcast that I remember finding really helpful. Um, it was a life kit podcast with NPR and it was talking about um, overcoming people pleasing habits at work. And I really liked it because it offered like, I mean, we all, we can talk about that until we're blue in the face, but I remember this podcast offered Mm -hmm. uh, really tangible um, actions and advice that I found helpful. Um, So I will link to that in the show notes. It's only half an hour at the life kit podcasts are nice and short. Um, So yeah, Yeah. if, if you too struggle with people pleasing, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it. Ah, <laughs> uh, any, um, Becca, do you have any questions? Um, when are you going to yeah. be on a board? <laughs> Speaking of the, the Schumacher's <laughs> well, Marcia, lifestyle. Don't, don't make me give away my hit for the week. I'll tell okay. you in, Ooh. in about five minutes. <laughs> All right. But no, I just want to say, Phoebe, I really appreciate what you said about, you know, realizing when you want to take that passion for something and shift it from a professional, you know, realm to more of a personal or like volunteer mm-hmm. aspect of your life. Um, mm-hmm. I think especially in conservation, this has been my experience is that it's incredibly fast paced. Things are always changing. Mm-hmm. These campaigns that we're working on it feels like you're going hundred miles an hour and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you hit the brakes, but it does that for like four or five years, you know, things just take so long yeah. and there are these, yeah. you know, big picture issues that we're all working on. And so burnout's mm-hmm. a real thing. Um, I think getting discouraged mm-hmm. at um, feeling like you're not making progress is a pretty big thing. So mm-hmm. identifying those small wins is huge. And then also identifying when, you say, hey, maybe something else would be better for me to spend my nine to five professional time doing. And then I can mm-hmm. come home at the end of the day and feel like I want to shift and still make a difference for wildlife or, or habitat conservation mm-hmm. or, you know, local policy, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, totally. I think it's really, it's good mm-hmm. to honor, honor yourself by, by thinking critically about that. Totally. I totally agree. And I guess along those lines too, like, I think it's this idea 
and it's a, it's a little gushy, but it's this idea that, you know, you're the captain of your life and people, I, I know there's a variety of barriers and it's not that simple, right? But, um, and it's certainly not equal for everyone, but you, you can make radical changes. Um, just because you've been doing one thing for X amount of years doesn't mean that you can't do something totally different. And just because you're only a hunter and angler doesn't mean that you're not qualified to sit on a board, right? Like you, you can, you know, I like to picture like putting the dice in the Yahtzee cup and shaking them up and rolling them out on the table. You know, you can do that. Um, you can do that in your life. I've done it a couple times. <laughs> I yeah. <highly> recommend it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. Oh. Um, I I do have a good. So the story I told about that elk passing by, um, and me missing or not taking the shot, and then my boyfriend at the time taking it. There's a really good second half to that story. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's worth talking about or if we're short on time. Well, you can't just tease us. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're in it now. Okay. <laughs> Okay, great. Well, um, I think this was like in November, so some of the shortest days of the year. And um, the light was dwindling quickly. And, um, you know, he had just taken the animal. And we were up on top of this butte. um, And there was a lot of timber below us. And I kind of looked at my boyfriend at the time and was like, okay, well, what now? And this is kind of the first animal that I had been around that had ever been harvested. And like, well, I grew up in Minnesota and I actually have never field quartered an animal. I've always just taken it back to, you know, my garage and dealt with it. And we had gutted it and everything, but, you know, we still have this very heavy female elk (laughs) so I was like okay well what's the game plan here um he's like well I think we should drag it down the butte whoa (laughs) (laughs) like all right we have what approximately 15 minutes of light um and you know it's mainly downhill but not entirely and so you know, he picked a line and I was like, whatever, I'm, you know, here, I'm here to learn. You're the expert. (laughs) We were, you know, had tied the legs and were kind of so many down trees, so many down branches. And I was getting pretty frustrated, just the lack of preparedness and was really kicking myself for not having taken more responsibility to be prepared and asking more questions (laughs) before finding ourselves in this situation. And then Um, I was in the back and he was in the front and I tripped over a log and I actually fell head first into the elk carcass. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like my my body was in that body. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So you have two choices. You can either just break down further or just like accept that the universe is trying to throw you a joke here and just laugh it off. (laughs) I got up and I started crying 
Uh-huh. <laughs> we did not speak for the rest of the time. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. That's, that's how that works out. I'm honestly just first off, just impressed that you could move it at all. <laughs> like that yeah. is a very large animal to try and move uh-huh. over that terrain. Um, uh-huh. Oh, but it yeah, a great idea <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But <laughs> but you made it back you to know, the car. Sometimes- got it up in the car yeah yeah that's right and then we uh process it in the garage just just according to plan (laughs) (laughs) but the the funniest part about it all is you know the view is just right outside of town so you kind of are looking up at it a lot and (laughs) i have remembered it (laughs) yeah (laughs) something that's too explicit for this podcast But I remember looking up the next day and being like, oh, yeah, there is just like a totally clear path with nothing but snow covered <laughs> stage just about 300 yards to the west. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. <laughs> oh. Oh. So hindsight is twenty twenty, and sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> <By explaining laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Thank you for sharing the second half of that story. It would not yeah. have been complete without it. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Any last points, Phoebe, before we transition to hits and misses? I don't think so. I mean, I just want to make one more plug that I think that there's so many places in the world that would benefit from more diversity and the hunting and fishing world is certainly one of those the conservation world is certainly one of those and these decision making bodies need more new and different perspectives and if you haven't thought about yourself as being someone capable of bringing those perspectives before then i hope that you will start i feel like we want to i want to there's those, um, gosh, the name is failing me now, but there's like groups of, of women executive leaders who come together for conversation mm-hmm. and support. It's like a leadership book club kind of thing. I feel like mm-hmm. we should start that mm-hmm. for um, board members. So you have a space mm-hmm. to come and talk about um, mm-hmm. issues that you're encountering in that board and just kind of a brain trust yeah. of, of experience and insight that can mm-hmm. help you think through a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mentorship almost, or like peer mentorship almost. Yeah, yeah, peer mm-hmm. mentorship. Because I know for me, I can get so bogged down in my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. I need to bounce them off of other people so I know that my reality mm-hmm. is grounded outside of my yeah. own experience. Um, yeah, And sometimes definitely. that can be hard to find. Mm-hmm. I think that's really true. Anyway, um, yeah, that could be fun. Uh, okay. Thank you for that entire conversation. It was absolutely wonderful. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm really flattered that you asked and this was nothing but a blast. So you were right. (laughs) And and we're not done Um, yet. Sometimes hits and misses are the best part. Oh, sweet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So hits and misses. Becca, what have you been aiming for this week and how did it go? Um, well, I figured that I would stay uh, on brand with the theme of this podcast. So um, sort of in what we've been talking about 
for the past hour here. Um, I've over the past few months, I would say six to eight months or so, I've I've started to feel the way in which I approach conservation and my passion within that world. I've felt it shifting a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if it stems from um, a lot of the education I'm doing on a personal level or what, but um, I've been reaching out to a lot of private landowners around the state and just making connections and learning more about um, the work that they're doing for, for wildlife and habitat on their private lands. So anyway, long story short, um, I am in the running to be a board member on the Lemhi Regional Land Trust. So that's the land trust um, in the community here that I live in in Salmon. Um, and, you know, speaking of sort of the imposter syndrome, when you look at a board mm -hmm. position, um, I was called and asked if I would be interested to be on the board. And my first, inst I mean, I was like, yes, but, you know, I think the but is pretty common to follow that. And I was like, I am not a rancher. I'm not a landowner. I'm not, you know, a, a second, third, fourth generation central Idaho resident. Um, looking at the names of the people who are on this board already, you know, they're people who have been here their whole lives, um, you know, have, have raised cattle, sheep, um, are, are huge names in the community. And I'm like, holy shit, I don't know if I could sit in a room with all these people and feel comfortable speaking up. Um, but it was really great. You know, the guy that called me is a close friend and a colleague. Um, he works for another, um, he works for a national organization as their Idaho, um, you know, he, he focuses on Idaho issues, but he's like, you know what? I felt the same way. I, you know, I was born here, but I'm not a rancher. I'm not a landowner. I felt really intimidated in the room full of these people, but they need other, um, you know, outside voices. They need perspectives from people who aren't the norm. Um, and so, yeah, this Wednesday, there's a meet and greet with the land trust. So that'll be the first time I get to be in a room with all these folks. So I'm very excited. That's fantastic. Cool. Uh, high five for saying yes. Yeah, well, we'll see. I need to be, uh, you have to be voted on, but I just- But you I said yes. Like you put yourself oh, in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I absolutely. mean, you haven't accepted a spot, but you put your hat in the ring. Is that how the phrase goes? Yes. I, so. okay. I always yes. get confused with that one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we talked about um, thinking local and I really appreciate that too. You know, the things that I care about most and the impact I feel like I can have really starts from the inside and, and works its way outward. And I think looking at local nonprofits, people who are doing work on the ground in our own personal communities is the way to go in the beginning. Yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Keep us posted. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Phoebe, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? This week, um, so I love sports and games and activities just in general. I'm a very, I'm on the move. I like to move my body, like to learn new things. And um, this past weekend was the maiden voyage for my new whitewater raft, which I bought with my, my partner, Austin. Um, we're very excited. We got to dog life vest for my wire herd Vishla and his lab. And um, so we're just stoked to, to have this world open up to us of, river life and you know hunting and fishing access from that 
Um, but so we went out Saturday and Sunday, gorgeous weather. I know it's hard to imagine because it's snowing where you are, but it was like 85 here um, both days. And uh, I guess the hit was on Saturday. We chose like a really mellow section and everyone that went was just like, yeah, I'm feeling confident. Like that one's really positive. Like everything just went really well. And then Sunday we're like, well, let's try something a little more challenging. Um, and I took my roommate who's a river guide. So we had some supervision, felt a little more comfortable, you know, turning the spice level up and <laughs> within the first five minutes um, of being on our raft, we were, we had my roommate rowing instead of either one of us. And we got wrapped on a rock. <laughs> so we were like standing, like, in this place where I've gone fishing and I've like scouted the raft rapid before and been like, wow, that looks really messed up. It'd be really hard to get a boat down that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I found myself like, yeah, standing on this rock with like water just rushing all around me, like looking up at my boat and seeing it like, you know, bending. And I'm like, mm. oh gosh, is this it? Like, is this the end of the story already? Um, but we got it out. So it was good. It was a positive growth experience. And the boat's okay? Yeah, boat's okay. And we're all good. We just, we all, we all got a quite a big uh, adrenaline rush. I bet. So. Oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... Well, that is exciting. I feel like uh, I'm not really a boat person, but now that I live in a small river community, I'm like, man, I really need a raft. So that's really awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was easier to kind of jump into it with someone too. Like the financial investment is kind of major too. So it's just like, you know, we're going to just be newbies. Love it. Um, I have a, 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 I have one uh, sort of, I guess, uh, Artemis related hit and then um, some very not Artemis related hits. <laughs> but I, I, it's one of the things that becoming a hunter as an adult has taught me and an angler has taught me is just a, like this new appreciation for not knowing anything, right? And for the learning curve <laughs> that we embark on when we decide mm -hmm. to take on this endeavor, uh, Absolutely. And, which, which has been so refreshing. It really has. And I think it's opened up other avenues of learning in my life that previously I wouldn't have attempted. Um, and mm -hmm. one of them being like home improvement projects um, I, mm -hmm. I'm a nester. I love creating a space, um, where I, that I, that, that I'm comfortable in and, and that I enjoy. And that includes indoor and outdoor spaces. So I did a ton of garden work over the weekend and making new garden beds and just kind of getting it set up. But then I woke up on Saturday morning and I was like, you know what I want to do today? I want to replace my toilet. <laughs> so yes love it <laughs> so I, it, you know I'm not quite sure where I got the guts um but I I you know took a morning trip to uh to Lowe's and bought a toilet and, and came back and um screamed once in the whole process <laughs> out of frustration but I have a working toilet and I'm uh, yes. the pride I feel every time it flushes is really quite yeah. immense <laughs> A throne. <laughs> so that's my big hit is that uh, I replaced my toilet this weekend and I'm so grateful to you too. Um, I feel like this is a little graphic maybe for a podcast that's not like a Kula cloth podcast, but now if you ever have to, you know, 
if you like flush a tampon and you weren't supposed to now you <laughs> re reopen your toilet take it apart and then put it back on it it's oh, true <laughs> I know how to do that and I can probably like well the first one may have taken me um a few hours that's one I could do so quick <laughs> yep. Uh, and I do have a new appreciation for don't you dare flush that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that in a way that I didn't before. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if either of you need any thoughts or advice about replacing your own toilet, please don't hesitate to call me. <laughs> You'll be the first person to know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, um, but on a more Artemis-related note, uh, our Turkey Tactics series, which is in mid-swing as turkey seasons unfold across the country, uh, we've got our next event um, this Thursday, which is just a storytelling and uh, Q&A opportunity for people to get together. Um, and as part of our Turkey Tactics series, we're having a storytelling contest, which is going to be super fun. We have a whole bunch of categories, including stories where you were outwitted by a turkey uh, lessons learned, <laughs> hunter naturalist stories, which Becca, I thought of you when we came up with that category. Um, <laughs> and after the hunt stories, um, community stories about how your community helped you this season, uh, ode to the turkey, so we can sing the praises of turkeys themselves. Anyway, a bunch of different storytelling opportunities and great prizes, including turkey leggings from Feral Life, um, a subscription to Project Upland. <laughs> some skull dragger custom calls that have the Artemis logo in the middle of them. They're fantastic. So I'm excited to read all the stories and, and I encourage people um, to, if you, ha if you haven't already, if you aren't already a part of the Turkey Tactics series, it's not too late to register. Um, we'll link to it in our show notes, but you can also find it in our Instagram profile. Uh, but yeah, so um, Phoebe, as a cool. new Artemis ambassador, welcome to the team. We're so excited uh -huh. to have you. Uh, Thank you. Yay. I'm thrilled. And uh, mm -hmm. and Becca is a longtime Artemis uh, leader. You guys will get to help us judge the stories. So, oh, um, so exciting! Yeah, it's going to be great. There's nothing I like more than I just getting stories from a bunch yeah. of people. So fun, so fun, and songs. I can't wait to hear these "Ode to the Turkeys." <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't need to be a song, but maybe like a haiku. <laughs> yeah. That could be fun. <laughs> I just always use the same joke when I go turkey hunting because I've never had success. And it's along the lines of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, you know, I told Tom and Jake to be here and I don't know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> right? I thought they were going to show. <laughs> Jolene stole them away and took them over on the other side of the hill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, a Jolene remake, but to the tune of turkey hunting. I yeah. think there's, like there's something there, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> we can wordsmith that later it'll be fun thanks for joining us this week on the artemis podcast we hope you're having a great week until next time be bold stay curious and get outside <laughs>